little thing in the corner of your shot there. What are you? Who's Tracy's? You've got a blanket on top of your computer. Yeah. <laughs> It's my laundry basket, Sharon says. It's her laundry. It's her pathetic (laughs) attempt to improve the quality of her soundtrack because she is trying to sound like the Tin Man. We already started recording, so I guess we should probably warn you, Brian. It's nice to see you not in a cupboard, actually, Tracy, because last time we recorded... She's under a laundry... She's under a fucking laundry basket with towels around her. I thought that she had a towel around her head when I first came in on the recording because it looked like she just jumped out of the shower. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I thought she had one of those giant teddy bears. I really did. I thought, what's that? Some sort of plushie on your screen? And just for the record, we were judging. As you should. Totally. <laughs> Great. Well, you let us know when you're ready to start and we'll kick off. Yeah, we're going to start, Sharon. Okay, we get to start. It's our show. It's the laundry basket. Hold on. Is the laundry basket thing intentional? This is what I'm starting to get now, that this is part of yes. the sound production. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> wow. So we don't usually do video, and I knew we wouldn't be recording video, and my son is home and my dog is home, so I had to go. So you're in the bucket. And I'm like, it's just Troy and Brian. So if just it's okay. Troy. Oh. <laughs> oh. Just. So yeah, it's just around my microphone so I don't get some of that tinny bounce back. Oh my god. I'm hanging up. I'm Sharon, and we are Feet of Clay, Confessions of the Cult Sisters. Seriously, seriously, Tracy, I think this may turn out to be my favorite episode of the entire year. Well, I know that I am super excited, and I don't know if Troy and Brian, oops, I already said who they are. Oh, you can't keep a secret ever, ever. I know. Our guests today are the two and only. Do you see what I did there? Instead of the one and only. (laughs) Oh, God. The two and only hosts of one of our favorite podcasts. I was going to say Feet of Clay. I was a teenage (laughs) fundamentalist. (laughs) Troy and Brian. (laughs) Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Troy. And this is I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist, Not the Longest Name of a Podcast Ever, Feet of Clay, Cult Sisters. Yay! <laughs> ever, ever. Or, or sometimes, as I like to call you, Broy and Tryon. Nice. Yeah, she did that yeah. in a recent recording. Okay, wait a second. I want to hear, you know, Americans, we are Anglophiles. We get this thing about accents. So I want you to say hello and introduce yourselves in your Best sexy down under voices. Nothing? You got nothing? (laughs) (laughs) Come on. Well, good evening, listeners. This is Love Songs and Dedications. Welcome to Feet of Clay, Confessions of the Cold Sisters. Well, hi, everyone. I'm Troy, and I'm from down under, and I just wanted to say that I'm just happy as a peach to be here. Oh my God, that's great! Did you like that one? That was total. Yeah, that was that was my Kentucky accent. Did you like that? 
<laughs> yes, for listeners, I, Tracy, am about 45 minutes from the Kentucky border. And uh, Troy keeps mentioning, have you been to Kentucky, Troy? Uh, I've been to the fried chicken place. They have like oh. some sort of diplomatic immunity kind of thing, right? So when you walk into a KFC, you are in fact on Kentucky soil. I think that's how it works. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. And for those who may not know, we actually have a Kentucky Fried Chicken Museum that's right there, almost on the border of Tennessee. Really? Of course you do. Mm-hmm. Of course you do. <laughs> One of our grandsons on our last trip, we were driving somewhere and I think he's six years old and he was like, dad, I want to go to like, what is he saying? I want to go to because it's now Mm. (laughs) he was trying to literally say KFC. KFC. Yeah. (laughs) Don't worry. All that's going to get cut out. No, I I don't think it should be. (laughs) I think think that was good. I was going to ask whether you guys also did the abbreviation KFC or was it still the full Kentucky Fried Chicken? And it sounds like it was there as well. Yes, it's yeah. They've shortened it. Yeah. I think they're trying to get away from the word fried because of all the health, bad health implications, you know, doesn't help the brand. But it's it's great because you can still sell the same artery clogging, horrible shit. You just call it something different. So it sounds like it's good for you. Hmm. I kind of remember that in all of our Christian circles, eh? No, that never happened. I didn't get any clogged arteries from Jesus. <laughs> communion's communion's very light. Like it's just a biscuit and some grape juice. So how can that clog your arteries? Surely that's good for you, Sharon. It, it, it clogs up your critical reasoning is what it does. It doesn't clog up oh. your arteries. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah Troy's clever. Mm. Very, very, very good. All right, I got a question for you. We, we've been lately referring to you as our little bros. Two things. One... You know, we really are your ultimate fangirls. I'm just saying, we are. But I was thinking that since we're older than you, and actually Tracy is almost an official grandmother, I think we need to dub ourselves your ultimate fangrands. Oh, I like fangrands. Oh, nice. Only grands. Only grands. Only grands. Visit my only grand's page. Yeah. Oh, I might not. <laughs> hey, Tracy. <laughs> Wait, she needs an alternate income source instead of her filthy corporate job. Oh. So maybe, maybe. I think it's a brilliant idea. Brilliant, brilliant idea. And that I even know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> How do you guys know about it? <laughs> about only grand's because we looked at your page. That's how we know about it. <laughs> Yeah, I like I like that one where you're in the uh, clothes basket. That's that was hot. Is it very very hot? I could slowly start throwing things out of the clothing basket <laughs> <laughs> because they'd be dirty, dirty. Oh they'd yeah, be dirty clothes. <laughs> oh, my- look at my dirty clothes. <laughs> These are my dirty clothes. Pass me my dentures. <laughs> oh my god, this is great. All right. Does it annoy you guys for us to refer to you as our little bros? No, no, no. We refer to you as our little hoes. So it's hoes and bros. So that's right. It's it's totally fine. I think it's old hoes, isn't it, Brian? Not little. We say old hoes. Oh yes, yeah, sorry, old hoes. Old hoes and little bros. Old hoes. 
in fairness, it actually doesn't bother me at all. I'll, I'll throw to Troy whether it bothers him, but you guys aren't that much older than us. It's just that we look so young. Uh, yeah, that's right. It's just we took better care of ourselves. Exactly. Ooh. I was going to say, Sharon, everybody wants to be the younger ones here. <laughs> we are. What, what year did you graduate high school? Are you allowed to say that? 1988, I graduated. Okay, yeah. Um, I, I didn't graduate. I got um, forcibly removed from high school before graduation. For real? Uh, seriously. Um, and I I went and did an apprenticeship. So I was a pastry chef for many years. And then I went back to university in my late 20s. So For a little while, Brian made the buns at McDonald's. I did. Really? Yes, yes. Do they make those? Yeah, yeah. They're not just created. They don't, they're not like manna from heaven, Tracy. You fucking hell. Unbelievable. You just need to get out of your clothes basket. I did not think that any human being had any part in making those. Someone has to make them. Oh, my goodness. Here's a fun fact from that time as I was – I did start my apprenticeship in a very large factory which made all the KFC and McDonald's buns in Victoria in the state that, that I live – and a fruit loaf. I don't know if you call them a fruit loaf or a raisin loaf. Cake? No, you might not have it over there, but we have bread here that's got like cinnamon and nutmeg and lots of fruit and stuff in it. And it's it's quite often had for breakfast. It's a fruit loaf, which is absolutely loaded with sugar. But the McDonald's buns had more sugar than <gasps> a fruit loaf. Wow. So that's part of their secret ingredient is fuck tons of sugar to get you addicted. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that we brought it all back to KFC as well. <laughs> it's a word from our sponsors. <laughs> well, living in Kentucky, I thought most things would come back to KFC for you, <laughs> most Tracy. Most things would come back. Yeehaw! Can we get some sponsorship money? Money, money, money. That's what I want. Not really. But. So true story, when, when I left at the prime age of 17 to go be a missionary, and I went to be a missionary in South Africa, of course, as you do, and we were driving out, and the first thing we came to was a Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I, I remember journaling it, being so disappointed because <laughs> I thought I was going out into the bush country, right, out past civilization, and kind of there I was faced with a Kentucky Fried Chicken. I was like, they beat me here. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> well, as we get started, I just wanted to note I'm wearing I What the Fuck merchandise, my backslider t-shirt. We love it. What's the baseball jersey shirt? Yes. Or whatever this thing is. I love it. And Troy, my little blue cowboy hat is a nod to your Um. obsession with the Dallas team. Oh, is that what it's for? Oh, that's so kind. Yeah, yeah. We got whipped totally. Yeah. Yeah, you did. Yeah. So I'm I'm sad about that. But life goes on. Life goes on. Maybe the only Gran will do some high kicks for us at some point <laughs> in her Dallas Cowboy outfit. <laughs> I'm not showing the camera below the waist because I am not uh, fully dressed. <laughs> oh. um, so before be, before we... Do you notice we went quiet then, by the way, when she said that? It's like, it's probably yeah, true. I know. Shush. Don't, don't get her no, to stand up. No, Actually, she did call me and she said, are we going to be on video? And I said, well, we're not going to be recording it, but we will so that we can see them. She's like, shit, I have to not be naked. And I'm like, well, you can be <laughs> naked if you want to be, and you absolutely don't need to put pants on. 
<laughs> I, I wouldn't have judged. I, look, we possibly would have joined in. It would have been fine. Well, I mean, Excellent. as we started this off, I think it's actually prime material for our new website that we should be going live with here soon. Only grands. <laughs> Only grands. I think that's so brilliant. I, I honestly think that's so brilliant. And it, it might be my retirement plan. <laughs> It possibly exists, to be honest. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'm not Googling it because I'm on my work computer and it may set something off. But um, actually, I'll do it on my phone as we chat. But I'm going to throw to you because I know that we have completely sidetracked probably the first 10 or 15 minutes of our chat together. No, no, no. You guys are the main track, man. You're the main track. Uh, so do you, you realize when I look back – it was almost exactly a year to the day when I was a guest on your show. I was a teenage fundamentalist. I could not believe that it was almost a year to the date. I was starting my Instagram account and I got this little message from, I assume it was Troy, asking if I had been at Last Days Ministries and known Melody and Keith. And uh, so, yeah, a year ago. A year ago. <laughs> it seems like it's been a full and busy year for sure. We knew it was a year because we celebrated it. Like Troy and I got together and had dinner oh and it's the one year God. anniversary that we had Tracy on the pod. So nice. <laughs> so fucking full of shit. <laughs> but it was amazing. It, it was amazing really seeing you guys, that, you know, those couple of times and stuff and what you did for our pod as well. Tracy, your episode is still our number one downloaded episode ever. Remember, we've been going for years and years and years, and yet you <laughs> came along and just went, bang, number one. Um, and Sharon, your episode's not far behind as well. I think what it is is the title, mm-hmm. you know, is Keith Green a cult leader? I think people go, oh, let's listen to that one. Whereas Keith Green yeah. arranged my teenage marriage. Yeah, maybe. But is is he a cult leader? That's That's more sort of. Yes driving i guess people to to download but yeah it's it's huge you don't need to worry i'm not offended i'm not hurt i'm not wounded much number one baby sharon number one baby (laughs) number one baby (laughs) our story episodes where we tell our own stories they they rate the worst like people are like no don't want to hear from them Oh, really? Yeah, which breaks my heart because I'm like, this is why I wanted to do this. I wanted to tell my trauma stories. I jump around and listen to yours. Oh, thank you. That's the ones I like. I skip over the others. I want to know you guys more. So at least one of your only grands is listening. Is listening, yeah. Yeah, two, two, two only grands. I just looked up only grands and it is a site. So it's <gasps> already taken. However, it's, it's a site that they say is wholesome. Unlike OnlyFans. I was going to say, I feel that we could do a deconstructed devil horns version and not have the wholesome portion of it. We could make it a Z on the end, like only grands. Mm. Yes. Ah, oh, see, I like that. I, I think this is a goer. If you need a manager, I'm there. <laughs> I, th- I think that's very 90s, though, to put a Z, a Z on the end of your word, you know, like only grands. Give us a break. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> In fairness, Sharon and Tracy are near their 90s. That's right. What? Say again? No, don't say it again. Don't say it again. <laughs> no, I'm not going to because I'm, I might get a hex put on me by you evil witches. You'll have to listen to it in post. <laughs> On the 90s. Oh, speaking of that, okay, I got, a, I got a very important question to ask you guys. And who knows, maybe it's even the most important of this session. 
I noticed that in your new podcast graphic, why does only Brian have devil horns? Mm. What's up with that? Do you want me to answer that, Brian? Because I, I did the graphic. Okay, so we used AI to create that graphic, by the way. So it wasn't that you know we had some amazing designer do it for us. So basically, you were taking money away from the artists, right? You were undermining artists and creative world. I, I, I don't think. No, no, I don't think it. No, it doesn't do that. It, it actually like creates it from <laughs> from nothing. You know, don't ruin it, Sharon. And so the um, the the one of the things, as I said, give us both horns and halos. And then when it created the image, it only gave horns to Brian and not horns to me. But the image was really, really good. So I said, oh, Brian, that can be because you always say that you were a shit Christian and I was really full on. So when we were teenage fundamentalists, I did have the halo. You had the halo, but underneath it were the horns. And so that's the narrative. Oh. But actually, it was because the AI said, I'm going to do it my way. Mm. But the horns, in fairness, I think they were my doubt, my constant gnawing doubt and I tried and tried and tried to be a good Christian and tried and tried to believe. I think I spent my whole time trying to believe. So I think it's a good narrative and let's stick to that. And I think the AI knows all. <laughs> the AI does know all. I think it's a very, very good narrative. And I think one of the main reasons we wanted to kick off our new season with your new season is we're very curious to hear kind of what I guess you have said that your season five, which is amazing. Congratulations on that alone. Uh, what what type of shift um, are you expecting to kind of take in season five and why? Or is that a spoiler alert for yours? <laughs> no, no real spoiler alert. We do have an episode coming out in a couple of days, which will delve deeper into the whys and the hows and the what's. But essentially, I'll let Troy speak as to the why and I'll speak as to the what. So basically, there has been a shift. We feel like we've done four seasons, 90-odd episodes of focusing on the trauma, a lot of it, and also looking backwards. We thought it's time to start looking forward. And a lot of the the chatter in our, our Facebook listener community is really about what do I do with going forward? What? How do I tackle A, B, and C? What are the things? How do I? How am I a parent post fundamentalism? How am I? Um, how do I engage sexually after fundamentalism? All of those sort of things. So, but also the curiosity of the things that really were taboo and the things that we were told were evil as well while you're a fundamentalist. Mm. So we want to explore a few of those things. We want to explore, we're looking at things like certainty. And as a fundy, if there's one thing that you're pegged against is certainty, you know what's going to happen next. You know what's going to happen when you die. You know that God is in control. We want to explore the certainty of uncertainty or the uncertainty of certainty, both. Mm. Also looking at world religions. So looking at Hinduism, Judaism, Buddhism, all the isms, um, Islam and... Islamism. <laughs> That's what I was going to say, Islamism. <laughs> oh, and progressive Christianity 
as well. Oh, I know. Fuck. But we have to make room for them. <laughs> the ugly cousins. We don't want to give any airtime to fundamentalism. We, we never have wanted to. So, But we also want to be fair in our approach. Although we have a podcast called I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. We don't want to give any airtime to fundamentalism. Well, at least fundamentalist versions of these other religions, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's what we mean. We don't want to open up the door and say, here, try Orthodox Judaism. Hope you don't like pork. I mean, if you want to, go for it. It's fine. Um, you don't really, wait, wait, wait. You don't, you don't really mean that, Brian. Look, if people want to, you know, go for it. I don't mind. If people want to give it a crack, then give it a crack. I'm, I'm not going to judge. Um, yes, I am. <laughs> but so we're, we're looking at that. We're having a, a chat to people basically about those expressions and it's, it's exciting. We've, we've already started recording, obviously, and we've got a few episodes lined up. So it's exploring those things. And, and if we're speaking to a progressive Hindu, for example, it's asking the questions about how do they express basically being a progressive Hindu. And and it's really interesting. So Troy and I, in the start of these conversations, are just seeing the parallels between mm-hmm. fundamentalist Christianity. It's full on, isn't it? Oh, it is intense. Like It's mm. fundamentalism is what it is. Yes. Yeah. People are wrestling with the totally. They, they, they are saying things like, oh, what do we do with gay Hindus and what do we do, you know, all this kind of stuff and the role of women and all this. And it's like, oh, this is going to be such a good series because people are just going to go, oh, oh, hold on, maybe this isn't true after all, you know, because when you're, when you're looking at the fact that these religions are radically different, yet they're dealing with very much of the same things, especially repression and oppression, mm-hmm. it's, it shows you that fundamentalism is the demon here. It's really good. I can't wait. That's amazing. So when you guys were deconstructing, I know one of the things that kind of helped me on my path is my daughter was taking figure skating, which was right next to, at the time, uh, Barnes & Noble, which bookstores used to be a thing. And I went to the Barnes & Noble all the time during her skating and cleared the shelves on world religions and world histories on Christianity and spiritualism and all of that. Um, And obviously was very surprised at what I found. Did did you guys have much of a background as you deconstructed in some of these religions or is this all like learning afresh for you? Some of them, yes. Some of them, no. The The one that was interesting f- for me was Judaism because I thought as a Christian, I knew everything about Judaism because we have the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And it turned out I didn't know anything about Judaism. So some years ago, I actually did a course at a local synagogue and went in and like got into the whole Jewish thing for for a number of years, actually, and really immersed myself and everything. And at the end of it, I said, okay, thank you. That's great. But that's not for me. But I I really came to a huge understanding of their beliefs. And I, I worked in a Jewish school for a little while. My wife still works in a Jewish school. And the Orthodox are quite off-putting. I'm not going to apologize and say that. They are quite off-putting. It's very, very similar to what we're used to. But the progressive form is really, they're really cool, really open and Again, it's very much the progressive Christians are very much like the progressive Jews. It's very similar. So, But the understanding of Judaism as a religion and the fact that I had a complete misunderstanding of how they lived. You know, I thought, oh, they live by the law and all that kind of talk. And of course they don't. It's, it's, it's a very different 
very different life to what I thought. So I think that people are going to come out of that and go, oh, okay, I didn't know that or, oh, mm-hmm. that's interesting, but also the similarities and go, okay, mm-hmm. this is this is speaking something to me. And that's what happened to me. I don't know if I told you guys the story. I met a an ex-Muslim fundamentalist in Singapore and I had said the line, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating, I'm not uh, embellishing this story. I had said the line to people as a backslidden Christian, I still believe in God and Jesus and the Bible, but I don't go to church. And this woman, we were talking one day and she's letting me know that she was a former Muslim fundamentalist. And she said, yeah, I still believe in Allah and Muhammad and the Quran, but I don't go to mosque. I promise you that's exactly Uh what she said. And I just looked at her and Mm. I was off my face high at the time. And I just looked at her (laughs) and, and just thought, oh, oh. And that was one of those moments that you couldn't have scripted, you couldn't have scripted it, you couldn't have prepared it, but it was a real blow, death blow to my Christianity at that stage in my life because mm-hmm. it was like, this is the same, only the names have been changed. So true. Whereas for me, I think um, the organised religion thing, uh, it's always been off-putting, even when I was in it. I, I really struggled with it and struggled to accept it, I think, and and definitely didn't fit that mould. So it's not something I have searched for or done mm. research on since leaving. That's That's it from me. But when you were in fundamentalism, I think our only teachings were how they were wrong, right? You got that big book on all the cults. And so you got this cursory glance at all these religions and it basically, you know, tied it up in a neat bow on why they're missing the truth. And I think that was kind of like you were saying, Troy, really stunning to me to start saying, wow, um, how I believe that you believed is not at all. And uh, I ended up going into yoga for a little bit after I would say probably not after my deconstructing, but during as a, as a pathway out. And um, part of that uh, teacher certification, I had to read the Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> and at one point I'm like, oh no, I've just kind of landed myself. You know, I always say we're going to do an episode called First Cult, Second Cult, because it seems like <laughs> you usually end up in another cult somehow. And uh, I, so I think my yoga teacher was not expecting this from me, but I ended up writing a thesis of every passage in the Bhagavad Gita that was similar to the passage in the Bible. And it went on for pages. <laughs> I mean, and I made a grid and I compared the two. And uh, it, it was, uh, you know, basically turned me off from that form of yoga. It's like, I'm not, I'm not pursuing this for a religious purpose. That's your second thesis, isn't it, Tracy? Because you did another <laughs> thesis, right? You're, you're, you're a thesis writer. I'm a thesis writer or a manifesto. I think it's more so, of yeah, a manifesto. Yeah, that's what you called it. You called it a manifesto, yeah. You did. Yeah. I'm surprised that they had yoga in, in Kentucky. I thought it would have been banned. <laughs> I thought there would have been legislation against it. You got to get up on those hills, man. Take your yoga mat up on those hills. You know, you, Kentucky is a gorgeous state, by the way. But you don't live there. I know, but why do you guys keep talking about Kentucky? <laughs> I I live on the border, and so I do have to go through Kentucky to go to the warehouse that's a part of where I work, and it's a gorgeous drive. So I just got to throw it out there for you Kentuckians out there. <laughs> I think Molly from Cheers to Leaving isn't she in Kentucky? I think that's where I'm yes. getting it from. Yes, yep. she is. <laughs> she yep. is. You know, I 
really am fascinated to hear the conversations that you're going to share with us with all these folks that have moved into kind of the progressive form of their belief system. And the interesting thing to me, I tend to be a fairly extreme person. So what? What? I can swing from one side of the pendulum to the other pretty hard, pretty fast. And there's a part of me in in walking away from fundamental and evangelical Christianity that's like, oh man, all religion is just bullshit. None of it's worth it. I dabbled for a few seconds in Buddhism and it's like, no, this is all just the same shit. And I have struggled. What are you offering? Oh, you got a book. Hey, look behind me. That's my that's my Buddha bo- boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. Right within reaching distance. Oh, look at that! All of us. <laughs> oh, there was this wonderful book. Wait, 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 Brian. Where's your idol? <laughs> <laughs> Coffee. Well, Coffee. there's a great book called "The Parallel Sayings of Jesus and." The parallel Jesus? sayings of Jesus, Jesus and Buddha. Jesus, <laughs> yeah. he lives in Kentucky. I like Jesus. You're not fooling me. Jesus, oh, Jesus, you get back here with your sister. That, that's what they say in Kentucky, Troy. Oh. That's the number one name in Kentucky. Jesus. You guys are getting me off track. Jesus and Jemima. I'm, try- <laughs> I'm trying to say something serious and meaningful here. Of course, sorry, of course. <laughs> We're grieving the Holy Spirit. We're grieving the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Go, go, go. With a tiny little blue cowboy hat on. Go ahead, go blue ahead. Blue cowboy <laughs> hat and no pants, but you know, hey. So the progressive thing, I struggled. And I'll say I sometimes still struggle with this idea of why do you guys even bother? You know, I mean, because you're just trying to make it, what, Jesus light or, mm. you know, Islam light. Because in order to be in any way progressive or tolerant or truly loving of other humans, you basically have to abandon the foundation of virtually everything in your, quote, sacred text. And so now you just have to try to explain away or ignore or reinterpret. And so why even bother? So that that has been, that was my pendulum swing all the way to that side. I think that's fair enough, Sharon. Yeah, but I do see that for many people, there is value. And I think some of it is sense of community. Some of it is sense of looking to something external for the moral compass rather than believing or trusting that it could be exclusively within you. And so I'm having to learn tolerance in that way. Tolerance. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> acceptance. It's I got to start with tolerance, right? So I'm just, I mean, I'm just being honest with one of my struggles. Yeah. I, I think it's fair enough, Sharon. I really do. I went through a similar time where I wanted nothing to do with any other religion or religious things. And then I came across the book Religion for Atheists by Alain Deboton. I don't know if you've ever read that book. Mm-mm. And he actually looks at the value of religion. He's an atheist, and he looks at the value of, I think it's Christianity, Judaism, and Buddhism as, like you were saying, helping people to be reminded of you know, morality and ethics and all these kinds of things. And he draws out the value of, of this. And I actually found that a lot of the things that I missed from 
Christianity and my time as a fundamentalist, I could still take some of those things on board without committing to a community or, you know, anything like that. And yeah. so I think there is some value to it. But I, you know, I don't commit to any one thing. I, you know, I, I'm in a place now where I think it's quite probably and possibly there is no afterlife and all those kinds of things as well. Mm. But I'm open to the fact that I could be wrong about that, which is very different to how I was before. Mm -hmm. I was very sure. Whereas now I'm, you know, I've learned, I've learned my lesson. Mm -hmm. And, but the other thing I think, the other reason why we're doing it is, and it's going to sound like we're trying to patronize people that listen to our podcast, and I hope it doesn't sound that way, is there's a lot to learn here that we can actually reflect on our own experience as well. So we made it clear to people when in our first episode, just because we open the box and look inside doesn't mean we're saying this is good. Mm -hmm. Doesn't okay. mean we're saying yeah. this is right and doesn't mean we're saying it's wrong either. But mm -hmm. we're going to have a look. Curious, yeah. And these things that we had definite answers about, we're going to try and explore and see if we still have definite answers. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. That's great. I can't I can't wait. Yeah, Tracy and I Jack and was our... in the box. <laughs> Jack was in there. So we let him out. Is that another KFC McDonald's Jack in the box? Is that? Yeah, it, it, it is. Jack in the box. Do you guys have Jack in the box down there? The the fast food place Jack in the box? No, actually we don't. We okay. don't have Jack in the box. We have Jack in the boxes. Jack in the boxes toys. No, we no, only no, just talking. recently got Carl's Jr. Carl's Jr. is here now. We've got that. Oh, those are shit. Those burgers are shit. So Jack in the box has one thing on their menu. It's called, or it used to be called the monster taco. And it is so bad that it is unbelievably fantastic. They take this corn tortilla and they put a schmear of, I don't know, can you call it meat? It looks like it might be like cat food pate inside it, fold it up, put the whole thing in deep fat frying, fry the whole thing, comes out, it's all greasy. They put a slice of American cheese in it and some little shreds of lettuce and salsa. And oh my God. I can't say it's quite as good as the best orgasm you ever had, but it's pretty damn close. Just saying. Wow. Well, it is a monster taco, after all. You had me at schmear. <laughs> You've made it really appealing with that smear of cat food. Yeah, I know, <laughs> but it's really it's good. Like, okay. Anytime we're traveling, if there's a jack-in-the-box, I tell Dave, I said, I got to go. We got to go drive through. I think it's because when I was in high school and college, it was... That was like the go-to place after classes. So, yeah. So it has nostalgia for you. But I, I love what you guys said about opening the box because that is something that we weren't allowed to do as fundamentalists, right? You weren't allowed to explore. You weren't allowed to really ask a lot of questions and dig in deep. It was, you know, that fear that was going to come upon you. So I think that's great. One of the things that has come up in our community Facebook as well and I don't know if you guys are going to tackle it or your thoughts on it, is death. How do you bring comfort to people who have lost a significant, you know, loved one in their life or, you know, facing their own mortality? What, there's not a lot of conversations on that. And I find myself, all of the things that were so easy to say to people, you know, in your Christian fundamentalism, those are not there. So I don't know what you guys are thinking about that. We are. We are doing 
little episode on death and actually near-death experiences as well. Mm. So we've got a, an expert coming to speak about that, speak about the process of death and also some of the beliefs around death as well. Because I know that that is one really big thing that people struggle with is, well, what's next? And I don't know. I've Over time, I mean, it's taken me a long time to get there. I'm comfortable in the fact that for me there's there's nothing else. That's it. Mm. We, we die. We return to dirt and that's okay and life just keeps recycling. Um, I don't believe in in an afterlife anymore. I mean, I'm open to the fact that I could be proven wrong and uh, I guess I'll find out in probably 20 or 30 years. But <laughs> the reality is, who knows? Who who knows? But right. for me, I see no, no pointers in that direction. Whereas I'm hopeful, to be honest. And, and I, I was, you know, I went through this hardcore atheist stage and, and I don't say that patronising people who have been through it because I may go into that again. But I'm hopeful. Some of the stuff that I've been listening to and mm. reading about, you know, near-death experiences and things like that, it's quite compelling. And I realise that it could totally and even probably is just my emotional need, all that kind of stuff. I, I'm not for a minute saying this is the new answer or anything, so please don't cancel I was a teenage <laughs> fundamentalist. But I, I'm hopeful that there is something, right, that there's something that goes on, but I'm also aware that it's probably not. So, you know, let's open the box and have a look. Yeah. One of my ideas for a true business that would be if if my fan grands doesn't work out <laughs> is uh, redoing the whole funeral parlor death experience. I know in the United States it's bad. And uh, a couple of years ago, uh, a family member and we had to go um, into this funeral parlor home that like if you weren't depressed before you walked in there, you were depressed in the midst of that. And I was like, what happened to, you know, nature and finding inspiration in the things that we have in life that they put these old statues in these old carpets and they try to make it look like an old church with old wallpaper and it, it's just bad. So I was like, I think we need to redefine death and do it differently. So I'll let you know if I open up a, uh, a chain of... Uh, they wouldn't be called funeral parlors because even that name just sounds like what they. Well, you are. have monster tacos. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that should be that should be the food at Sharon's wake. By the way, you have got to have monster tacos. Should be totally the food. Oh, monster tacos and margaritas for sure. So we've had trouble getting someone on to come and talk about death, haven't we? Like to actually talk about the process of dying and all that. We, we have trouble finding someone that's willing to come mm. on and talk to us. So that's been a challenge, but we'll get there. You know, it's interesting because my husband, Dave, just forwarded me. I haven't opened it and looked at it yet, but a news article he saw about something going on in the States now called Death Doulas. Have you heard of that? Uh. D-O-U-L-A. Yes. I know a birth doula. Yeah, because one of our daughters-in-law had a baby a year ago, and they had a, a birth doula, but this was referring to a death doula. And I'm going to read it. I'll find it, and I'll send it to you guys. I think Rachel and Molly did an episode with a death doula. I think hmm. they did. Oh, we'll have to look that up, and we'll put it in our show notes when we find it. That's very interesting. And then the other question um, I have on that is, you know, as far as the religions, but witchcraft. 
you know, that's that's something that everyone will know that Don Green came on our episode and kind of blew up our our last day's alumni <laughs> face page. We love you, Dawn. <laughs> we love you, Dawn. <laughs> we do love you, Dawn. And so brave to come out of what we've come out and just talk about having a practice that's very, very different than what everybody thinks it is, right? But I know that I tend to be I'm a mystic. I was a mystic. I was a Christian mystic. I tend to like the mystical things. I think I'm like you, Troy, of like, I'm not convinced that there's not anything. But I do, even in gardening, this whole cycle of life and just the regeneration and that whole principle that's everywhere. So I don't know if you guys are going to cover witchcraft. <laughs> like Wiccan. You're talking about like Wiccan witchcraft. I don't think we will because witches burn in hell. That's- so I don't think we should we should do one on that. <laughs> We didn't think about that, did we, Brian? And we didn't. It's not on the agenda yet, but we may. I think that mm. could be good. There's plenty out there. There's plenty out there. I mean, look at you two. <laughs> we could get Daniel Ratcliffe to come along and talk about it. You could totally get Daniel Radcliffe. He knows all about it. <laughs> but it is one of the, truly, it is one of those things that there are so many stereotypes about people that think that, right? But there is a definitely spiritual practice that gets you back to nature. And it's not just quite Wiccan and it's not quite witchcraft. And I think they're saying it's one of the, the more growing spiritual practices out there. So just throwing it out there. It's very nature-based. And that's something I didn't understand either. It really is saying, looking at a one with nature to understand that we're just part of nature. We've artificially removed ourselves from it in our species in the last eight, ten thousand 10,000 years. Before that, we were just another animal out there. Yeah. I used to live in the, the hills in, in the city we live in, and up there there's a lot of self-professed witches and warlocks and all that that live there. And being amongst that community, they are just normal people. And most of it is, it's just a, it's a paganism. It's a mm-hmm. worship of the earth and nature, and it demystifies it by knowing the people. Some of them, I'm not going to lie, are a bit strange, but there's <laughs> also strange people throughout every aspect of my life. Every, everywhere. And I think they're just generally strange people. But um, Even in the podcast world, there's strange people. <laughs> no, there's like no. grandmas in clothes baskets and all kinds of shit going on <laughs> in the podcast world. Brian, you use the word worship. They're out there worshiping nature. Can I pivot to another topic to ask you guys about? You can. We can't guarantee that we'll answer it straight. I mean, yeah, that's I think- right. We may, we may talk about Kentucky. <laughs> I was going to say, he's from the hills. Did you say, Brian, you were from the hills? The hills. Um, I, I aren't from them, but I lived in the hills for a, a, okay. a while. Yes. Well, you would feel very at home in Kentucky. That's all I'm going to say. That's where you were handling the rattlesnakes, weren't you, Brian? I'm only, I'm only there for the ark. No one here lives in Kentucky. Why are we still talking about Kentucky? <laughs> because Tracy's 45 minutes from Kentucky and Molly lives in Kentucky. Yes, she does. Hi, Molly. And yeah, and the Colonel came from Kentucky. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, and Ken Ham. Hello. And Ken Ham. And you wanted to do a special trip to the Creation Museum and the Ark. So that's why we're talking about it. In Kentucky. I do. I do. But only if our little bros will go with us. We need to wait and do it with them. I think an episode of Bros and Hoes would be amazing. So, <laughs> Isn't that what this is? Isn't that what this is? This is what this should be called. 
<laughs> it's so what this should be called. AKA bros and hoes. All right, I'm putting it on there. That's that's the way it's going to be. Hey, Brian, do you know anyone that was once a teenage fundamentalist? Oh, Troy, you know that I was because you and I have a podcast called I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. I did know that. But you know what I find myself asking these days? No, I don't, but I think you're going to tell me. What about all those things that church gave us definite answers for? What are we supposed to think about all those things now? Well, funnily enough, that's what we're doing for season five of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. Ooh, Brian, I sense the Lord at work here. He works in mysterious ways. And we are going to unpack these things. We're going to find out what we do think about them now. So tune in to Season 5 of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist, the official podcast for the Azusa Street Revival. (laughs) Um, I'm not quite sure that's true, but it is available wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Okay. Back to my attempt at a serious, well, no, it's not serious, but so worship. I've done a little bit of thinking of, you know, what that whole worship music and experience was for us when we were all deep, deep in the fundy side of things. And of course, for all of us, Keith Green's music had a big, big draw. And, you know, just that whole power of music to touch a part of our inner self in a way that nothing else really does, and wondering how much of it was organic and genuine early on, like in the 70s with the guitar singing, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, versus what it morphed into as a perhaps intentional tool for manipulation and thinking of how you're going to order the songs in a service and yeah and and kind of back to uh yeah any and all of that that you guys want to comment on I'm interested in your perspectives I think uh, I'm I'm cynical however I'm probably cut them a little bit of slack in I'm not sure how intentional the move was towards making it manipulative. However, I do think that's where it is now. I think people try new things. And, and you know, in the times where I led worship um, and Troy did the same, he a lot more successfully because his voice is better, but you could move people into a place by definitely intentionally manipulating it but you could, and sometimes you're intentional in thinking that. However, I do think that you would experiment with different things. It would mm. take people to different places, and then you would employ those methods. And it evolved, and it evolved for churches until it did hit. Now it's a formula. I mean, you have large yeah. churches, Hillsong and other mega churches, where it's a formula you must employ because you know that you can just get people straight there. For me, music has always been an incredibly important part of my life. So way before I converted to Christianity, like music was something that took me to another place. It, I related to it. It helped me navigate stories and themes of my life. So I, I always loved music. So it was always going to be a powerful hook for me. And even to this point now, when music, I, I have to get. I get up in the morning and hey Google, ask it to play some some music. So 
music for me still is a place that that takes me somewhere else and it's for lack of a better word a spiritual experience when it, when I'm seeing live music mm. I really connect and mm. I really feel something and I, I feel like I'm taken to another place so I, I think they've harnessed that really well in mega mm. churches um because they bring that experience which they know is going to connect people and they bring it in and then they contemporize it with the the lyrics which you know explore the lyrics most of them are very um me centric like it's pointing back to you it's not actually talking about worshiping a god or praising a god it's talking about i am this i am that so it's it's taken i think that's where it's become a very different thing than the original intent, which was maybe a little bit more pure back then. I don't know. I'm cutting them some slack. But in short, I always found music powerful, and I think that it is definitely used as a tool. Troy. So, Brian, are you saying that if the modern worship scene was a little bit more Christ-centric, you'd be okay with it? Yeah, I'd definitely. I'd be back there in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, that's right, because that's what it needs. That's, that's what it needs. What it needs. So before you start, Troy, Brian, were you a head worship leader as far as um, the one who would be speaking and getting everybody in, you know, kind of the spirit? Only in a youth group setting, not in a a large church sort of setting. Um, I did have one amazing moment where I was at a camp, there's a couple hundred kids, I was really getting to worship, really excited, jumped on a chair and then fell into the crowd off the chair. So that was a beautiful thing. (laughs) That was your Christian moshing moment. Oh, yeah. Troy. Fine. Sorry to cut you off, Troy. No, it's <laughs> fine. <laughs> I, I was thinking about this topic a couple of days ago in sort of, you know, getting ready to talk with you guys because one of the things is talking about Keith Green and the influence that he had. And I think we were primed by just general society for someone like Keith to come along because I was so into Van Halen and so into the police mm. and so into all these different bands. That was, you know, how my, you know, Led Zeppelin and Rush and all these kinds of bands. And we would sit there and, you know, close your eyes and listen to the music and go up because a lot of those albums had stories and they'd be sort of thematic albums. And, and I was totally doing that with my non-Christian music before I became a Christian. And I think, one of the things when Keith's music came along, I already knew how to do that. Mm. I already knew how to to lie down and listen to the music or to listen to the words and learn all the words and all the things that you do. And so I think in that sense, it was utilizing something from a societal perspective that was already there, having these rock and roll idols. And all of a sudden we have our Christian rock and roll idols. And I know that's not news, but it's, you know, like we all realize that's exactly what was happening. Mm-hmm. But I was sort of thinking, and I want to throw this back to you guys as well, because we didn't have the real Keith. We only had his music, right? And so you think about that, right? We didn't see the bouncing guy. We didn't have the arranged marriages. We didn't have any of that. All we had <laughs> was, you know, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth mm-hmm. and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and you know, you've got to go, you want to go back to Egypt and, yeah, you know, my church is shit, Keith, if we were with you, you'd tell us, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I just wonder how different the experience is. I mean, I know it's going to be radically different, but I just wonder how different the experience was for you guys to actually 
you could sort of break out of that at times and just sort of see the real Keith. Was he just like a worship leader, like we would have in our church, or was he still that super idol? Because to us, he was more than human. I think that's fair to say, hey, Brian, and it wasn't just the book. It was the music as well. Yeah, the music. Mm-hmm. I'm going to jump in and give mine. I know Sharon probably has a lot on on this as well. So I personally, I think when Keith was really himself expressing his heart, he was at his best. And, you know, going back and pulling some of his music before he was a Christian, so similar, right? It's still that same kind of similar story passion. He's just really pouring it out. And I think that resonates, whatever kind of musician you are. I I saw Youth with a Mission come in, um, and I went on tour. A part of my second term is we went on tour. It was after we read Charles Finney, and they were supposed to be having, you know, these, uh, what were they called? The Inquirer's Meetings. And I could feel from Keith that pressure. And Brian, to your point of now, it's like a formula, is almost like he approached it of, I I have to achieve this result. And I don't think he was ever as good when he was in that frame of mind of now I'm on here. I am now a preacher that needs to have results like Charles Finney if it proves that I have the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's where I think there are more of his contrived songs and his songs that to this day don't do much for me. But when he was really himself and bare you know, hearted, I think he was amazing. And I think we loved it when he led worship. So, um, and that was a shorter time period. So I think Sharon will probably have a lot more color to that. Well, right. So, you know, I first met Keith as Keith. He wasn't, I mean, he did play, he played a couple songs on the piano in our living room that night that he first stayed at our house. But I remember he was playing one called Pardon Me, which was a a parody about Richard Nixon and the whole Watergate impeachment thing going on. <laughs> and he probably played something Christian-y. But then he was he was talking and he was, you know, bopping around and, and the intensity and everything else. So I knew Keith for a couple of years before I knew his music, you know, before there was an album and before there were tours. So that is the lens through which I could see his music, was having known him already. And when I visited in 19, I guess it was 79, uh, when I was 17 and dropped out of university and went to the California commune community, which was multiple houses in a suburb of Southern California, worship was all of us sitting around crammed into a living room, sitting cross-legged on the floor, Keith sitting on the floor as well with a guitar playing, and us singing and praying. And it was this sincere, we're trying to connect with the divine, not the divine Keith, but the divine Jesus. And there was a lot of, I mean, I can look on it now and see the condemnation we were all under in the sense of we're never going to be good enough our hearts are black and we have to weep at the feet of Jesus. And, you know, there was a whole lot of shit going on like that. But there was a sincerity that had nothing to do with a commercial endeavor of an album or a concert hall. And the songs, I mean, very rarely, I think, would he actually play one of his own worship songs. 
Yeah. I'm trying to remember. Sometimes he'd play them, but usually it was other stuff he was playing. Yeah, it was other stuff. Yeah. Do you remember that, Tracy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it would normally be he's teaching a Bible study, too. You know, it's like we'd have worship time and then he, and then a Bible study. I, I think it's often the way, though, maybe I'm being too gracious, but um, when things start off grassroots and fairly raw and then they start to get a little bit more of a following, you start to see it a bit more polished and then it gets more popular and it gets more polished and they go, oh, as we get more polished, we get more popular. We'll polish a little bit more. So I think you see that in so many aspects of life. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I I would imagine that the temptation to keep polishing to a point where it is so ultra professional, which is, again, what you see in the mega churches now. I mean, these guys are just switched on. Like They they know which buttons to push to get you to raise your hands at certain times and manipulate the hell out of you and where to place the – the um, altar call and the offering and all of that sort of stuff. So it just gets more and more and more polished to a point where it is so successful as a formula. And again, it's just like lift and shift, just chuck it in the next church and you've got one ready to go and just add people. Yeah. And I think that's where Keith is different in that, in that he did not want to be so polished. I think his struggle that I watched him is he really wanted to be anointed. Right. And at that point, he you know, was a big follower of Charles Finney, so he had an idea of what that looked like. And so I could see him under that pressure, and I think anytime we're under a pressure, it's almost like you cease then to be the genuine you that really is the, the kind of gift and just this mouthpiece of this prophetic anointing to get the results that that Finney got. And what that would look like for Keith would be hundreds or thousands of people coming forward, falling prostrate on their faces, weeping and weeping and weeping. That would be the measure of whether or not the Holy Spirit was working. Do you think so, Tracy? Oh, yeah. I mean, and after, you know, I think Winky Prattney had had done that that tour with all of us, and Keith beat himself up because he didn't get those results. And, you know, I think— But then it was us. What what sin do we have in our hearts exactly. that it didn't happen? Uh, it was the whole community. <laughs> it was like, you know, why, why are we holding sin in our hearts that's not getting this result? And—, and you know, I think that's where he be- began to get bolder in being able to call out sin because that's that's kind of how the results happened with Charles Finney. And then when you look back, I mean, if like if I listen to, you know, Songs for the Shepherd or there's certain songs that I still, just the music arrangement, the cry of the heart, I'm moved by those. And then there's those other songs that are literally just the the shame and the guilt and calling out the sin. And to this day, it's like, those are shit. Um, <laughs> but I think it was genuinely a reflection of what he believed. The Prodigal Sun Suite was the hook for me into Keith's music. That was the first song I heard. Mm. And I mean, that was amazing. It still is. I mean, it's a really just a great piece of music and it tells a, you know, an archetypal story and all that kind of stuff. You don't have to get all religious to, to see the value in it. But uh, what I was going to say before is that I think if I was listening to this podcast and I was still a Christian and let's face it, they're not listening, right? But, but if, <laughs> if I was, I would be thinking, yeah, that's right, ladies. 
we have to get back. It's like a reformation, you know what I mean? Like a revival. We have to get back to the to the heart of it all. You know, no more of all this, you know, super polished stuff and everything. And this is what Keith was about too. And this is what we were about mm-hmm. at, at one stage. Finding that pure, more right version of Christianity because that's when it was all right and good. But I don't think so. No. I think it was rotten from the core. You are right. You are right, Troy. It was rotten from the beginning. Yeah, and it's all dressed up in this nice stuff and these nice feelings and this ideology and this, you know, zeal and all the kinds of things that make a good cult, right? And and that's I heard Hillsong people saying, you know, no one outside gets it, meaning people that have left. No one outside gets it. It was more than just all the money and the music and everything. And what they're really talking about is what make what made it a good cult. And they miss that, that community and all those kinds mm-hmm. of things that were going on. And I, and I think, yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's rotten from the core. You know, it all needs to be torn down and, you know, burned to the ground metaphorically. So, so when we think about coming back to the original question that you threw, which was about the music and everything, I think it's the church tapping into something that is already there. Taylor Swift released her concert tickets here. Mm. The country went Insane, insane, right? Australia. It was news items. I was sitting in business meetings and I would walk around behind people and they've got the, the, the website open trying to get tickets for their, usually their teenage daughters. It was just absolutely insane. That's the power of music. That's mm-hmm. the power of that image, all that kind of thing. And I think that's what Keith tapped into. But for me, I wonder why did Keith do that? But Petra didn't. DC Talk didn't. I mean, don't get me wrong, they had an influence. But no one seemed to draw me in the way that Keith Green did. And maybe it was because of that zealot aspect. I don't know. But these other Christian artists, you know, you never hear someone saying, you know, oh, Rebecca St. James started a commune. No one says that stuff, right? (laughs) There was something different about what you guys were in. Keith had a need, I think. He had a need to be someone. He had the need to have an audience. And if he hadn't become a Christian, it would have been a different kind. I mean, he was trying to do it in the secular world. I mean, that he was driven to want a following and to figure out what brought that following. And I don't know that it was an intentional, conscious thing, but that's who he was. That's that's who he was and what he did. And what you just said about Taylor Swift and the fact that Keith was able to tap into it, just like, okay, so Taylor Swift has tapped in in a way that others in her generation haven't. I mean, she's taken it to another level, like Keith took it to another level. That has something to do with who that person is individually. It has nothing to do with whether or not they have a, quote, anointing of God, in my opinion. But I remember in probably the mid-90s, Going up to, I don't remember if we went up to Pennsylvania or somewhere, but went to a U2 concert. And I was still in my, I'm trying to be a committed Christian. And I did love the music of U2. I remember being in this big outdoor stadium. It was their Pop Mart tour. And it's a nighttime. And they play the song, In the Name of Love. And when the chorus is going... Everyone in that stadium, tens of thousands of people, are on their feet with their hands in the air, some with lighters. I don't know if we had cell phones back then. That's how old it was. (laughs) But they're singing. 
And then the band stops and it's a cappella, and there's tens of thousands of people singing the chorus in the name of love. And I remember feeling like this is worship. This is worship. And I was confused because it didn't feel bad, but my brain's trying to say, who are they worshiping? Are they worshiping you too? Is is this a false? Is this counterfeit? Is this uh, an abomination to God? But what I felt in my emotions, in my brain, was the same sense of connection and like a, a different dimension of, I don't know, euphoria is too strong a word, but it's just this opening up. Transcendence, like a transcendence. Yeah, a transcendence, exactly. I felt that, and it was communal with all these other people because we're all focused in singing the same thing. And I think that that is a human experience and has absolutely nothing to do with a religion or this or that. But if you experience that transcendence and that communal feeling, and someone at the same time is telling you it's because of this invisible God and this is what you should believe, your experience is seen through that that belief that's being imposed upon you. That's my theory about some of the power of music in Christian circles. But there's there's this one person, you know, and that's what I think is that Keith had that was a little bit different because at least from the outside, right, with, with his music and, you know, we didn't live on, on the commune, but the way that he was able to use his music to draw you in, but we also looked to him. Like, and don't get me wrong, we weren't worshipping him. It was all about, you know, leading us to Jesus and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think there's a couple of people from the secular world. I think Michael Jackson is another one. This kind of mm-hmm. devotion mm-hmm. that people had to him and still do. Mm-hmm. Um, the closest person I saw in my experience in Christianity to the way that people were drawn in, devoted to Keith was maybe Carmen. I think a lot of people sort of connected to Carmen in that way, at least in our part of the world they did. There was just something. <laughs> there was something about Keith that he, I don't know. It was. It was more than just using the music. It was also, yeah. There was something about. Yeah. Him. No, I I know what you're saying, and I think you know even Sharon, when you were saying you know a following. It's like well, all music musicians usually want that, right? They want to be followed. They right. want to be popular, and I I don't know that we have. A great answer, but I do think that there was something about Keith and his intensity when he was really expressing his heart that is different than a lot of experiences with other musicians. And even Agreed. now in Christendom, you'll hear the anointing of Keith Green. Like there's, I think, an, an acknowledgement in a lot of Christian circles that they see it as that anointing. That anointing doesn't come along all the time. And that that that's missing. And yet, to all of your points, when you can point to secular artists, that also happens in the secular sphere. Doesn't come around. Freddie Mercury. I mean, that's another one for, uh, for mm-hmm. me. Like, it's like, what did Freddie Mercury have that, you know, not everybody Charisma. had? And there are these Charisma. legends. And it's like, what charisma, this is it. It's charisma. And and that's what it is. You know, whether it's Michael Jackson, Keith Green, Freddie Mercury, Taylor Swift, whatever, there is this charisma, Beyonce, that some people have. 
and mm-hmm. they just are able to channel that and market it or and and that's what Keith did you know if if there hadn't been for his music Keith would have just been a little cult leader in mm-hmm. Lindale Texas mm-hmm. and that would have been the end of the story you know there wouldn't have been a podcast so thank god for Keith <laughs> right but but it's true like he 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 just had this charisma and he used media and it was very modern media of the day to to get that out there and we all got drawn in and but i but i do want to come back to what i said before you guys had this experience of the real person and i think you guys have a very different experience of keith green than we mm-hmm. we did but the fact that you can tell the humanity i think is really 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 powerful and i don't use that word flippantly i think the fact that you guys are out there saying okay Let's set this story straight. No, here's what he did. He possibly killed everyone in a plane. Let's look at Melody's story and listen to her and see how he pushed her around. And, you know, I mean, I was listening to your first episode because you were kind enough to give it to us in advance. And it's a great episode. So if you, you know. Thank you. Yeah, because I did want to ask you about that in just a minute. So, but if you want to go for it now. Yeah, yeah. But the, <laughs> yeah, you, you were talking about Keith being young. And, you know, getting discovered. And and so he had a taste of the adoration and then had it all taken away from him as a teenager. And mm-hmm. they're really, really, you know, impressionable years, et cetera. So yes. I, 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 I totally get that. And I think all of us that read No Compromise, if, if you had half a brain, even back in church, were going that, that, and that. But then you just sort of pushed it out and went, nah, it's Keith. And, and you run with it. And then later on, when you're able to actually deconstruct and really look at it, that's when you go, ah, yes, he was this, he was that. So, yeah, let's talk about that episode and that that um, that interview because there was a lot of things in that interview and in your reflection on that interview that I think really show Keith Green and Melody Green and Last Days Ministries for, for what it was. Mm. Yeah, look, it was, it was a really great episode. And I, I agree with Troy. It's tapping into that humanity. I do think that for people to be so successful in these spaces, absolutely it's about charisma, but you've got to be able to see yourself in that person to a degree as well. Mm -hmm. I think that vulnerability of people letting you in to a certain degree, even though, you know, Keith a lot of the time was quite self-righteous and blamey, you could see yourself in him and you see that with a lot of successful people that have a following, whether it's in Christendom or outside. Some people, absolutely, they follow you because they want to be you. Because you're hot. Because you're actually a little bit of trivia. I love trivia. So Taylor Swift, right, her her upcoming tour. So my daughter lives in Queensland in Australia. She's flying to Sydney to see Taylor Swift. Wow. And this has happened every place where she's got a concert. The whole city is booked out. You cannot get accommodation. Mm. The 2000 Olympics in Australia generated about $5 billion for the economy. All right. This is people coming from across the globe. Insane, huge thing. Taylor Swift is going to generate $1.2 billion to the Australian economy through a tour. So this is, you know, that's popularity. That's something Keith didn't do. Maybe if Keith was around, he would pack stadiums. Probably not. But the the reality is I think people have to identify, and that's why Keith 
did it well as you know that that attraction was there because people could see he was a bit of a normal guy and that's the bit that we saw like Troy and I reading the book was like oh this is just another guy who was chasing the heart of God and we could be that guy too and I think he was deified in a certain degree too because of his death and that's when Mm. we we really hooked onto it too. I remember as an early Christian, like I'm talking 89, 90, you know, Keith's been dead seven or eight years. I read No Compromise. I, I read that before I read the, the Bible in its completion. And I remember having a conversation with one of my brothers saying, oh, my God, why did God take Keith? You know, it was all about, you know, Keith being the central character in the narrative and why did he take him or maybe he needed him up there or, mm. you know, all that sort of stuff. And you, you're yep. thinking about <laughs> And you wouldn't think that about anyone else. You wouldn't go, oh, why did God take them? So it was a very different sort of connection and a very different person. Mm -hmm. But let's go to Melody (laughs) and your episode around Melody. So first of all, I love still to this day many of Keith's songs. And you're right. There was definitely, you know, that double-edged sword, a sincerity about him that was real. He struggled. um, He shared that. I despised the book No Compromise from day one. <laughs> so because we lived it and there was so much that was colored in just such a way to perpetuate that deity aspect. So yeah. And Keith is not responsible for the book No Compromise. <laughs> and look it it does often happen. You think of funerals that you go to that you know that person deeply. It's pretty rare that you would get up at a funeral and go, eh, you know, Tony, he was a bit of a fucker, actually. He, My friend did that. Uh, his father used to beat him and he got up at the funeral and oh, just wow. ripped into his dad. <laughs> and, but even then, knowing that story, I was like, oh, that's a bit harsh. Oh, yeah, you know what I mean? Like I thought it was the wrong thing to do, but, I mean, who's that? Who's to say, right? But it does happen, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's that's what happens though. Like people die and you you – want to remember the good stuff, you want to honour them. So any of the bad stuff gets erased from history. That That's a reality, except in the case of, of Troy's friend. But, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> most of the time, I mean, I've been to too many funerals and it's only the good stories and it's mm-hmm. the funny and that's the heartening true. and the that's connecting true. stories. But, but you know, some of those people were fuckers. And, and I think that, coming back to that interview with Melody, that cemented her. You know, you guys talked about the chains coming out from Keith's grave. I think if she turned around and said, Keith probably did this, you know, with his, what I think is ADHD, by the way, and uh, unapologetic, I think it's totally ADHD because I've got someone close to me with ADHD and I've done a lot of reading on it and I'm not an expert, but I think Keith had ADHD. Mm. What you call the bounce is hyperactivity, Mm -hmm, you know, all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And please, if if you really want to see did Keith have ADHD? Go and have a look at the, some of the symptoms, right? But I think when she thinks about the fact, and she even said in the book, why were that many people in the plane? And, you know, you guys were talking about her saying, you know, twigging, calling out to Keith, you know, what do you want to call the baby? All this kind of stuff as if she knew something was coming. I think Melody, when that happened, she was cemented in because I think it's too great. And especially after all this time, it's too great a confrontation is maybe the word I'm looking for, to say, perhaps my husband was a cult leader, did all these things, killed the kids, 
you know, etc. Right? All, all that together. I think it's just too much for her. And I don't think she ever will come to the point because he stole her whole life. Mm -hmm. And then even from death, stole her whole life. Mm -hmm. She's had to, you know, tell this story and, you know, why Wham swept in and, you know, and, and I dare say, and maybe not, but I dare say she's probably got so much regret about even what's happened with you guys and people like you. And, you know, it's just a schmozzle. And she said, you know, this ruined my life. And I just think that's where she's at. And I think she's going to die. And Tracy, uh, you know, Sharon and, and Brian don't believe this, but she comes back in the next life, she can start again, <laughs> right? But for, for now, this this is done for her. And, and I don't think you're going to see a change. I just don't think it's going to happen. And I don't say that harshly. I say that full of compassion. I think that woman has been destroyed. Right, full of compassion because it's so hard, yeah. Yeah. I think she's enjoyed the ride a bit, let's be honest. Uh, I mean, she might yes. have got swept up in it, but I think she's capitalised on it and you can't look past the memorial concerts and things like that. And maybe part of it was, you know, in her grief she was taken advantage of and was able to then look past that a bit. But I don't, maybe I'm a bit more cynical around that. I mean, I, I think that people do definitely take advantage of things in their grief or they are taken advantage of, but it's continued a hell of a long time past that. So, um, hell of a long time. <laughs> yeah, it's 40 odd years. Yeah, and maybe you're right in that. Yeah. Because you and Sharon are hard hearted and Tracy and I are, are more soft. That's right. I'm going to agree. So, that's, that's what's going on here. And we're the better people, Trace. We're the better people. <laughs> Your names start with TR. Brian and I end with N. Start with Brian S H. Where? What? I missed that. You said our names start with TR and Brian and I start with SH. No. Well, I'm often called a shithead. <laughs> no. Brian and I end with N. We end with N. Brian gets the devil horns. I usually wear the devil horns. So I, yeah. We, uh, hey, I, I'm going to talk about the thing with Melody, but why is it Troy and Brian, Tracy and Sharon? How come you two go mm. first and we're second? Because we're the better people, right, Troy? That's what that's right. Yeah, yeah. Because because we lead with our heart, and you guys you guys lead with your hard hearts. (laughs) We just keep it real. We just keep people accountable, and we're happy to be last. You know, last shall be first. First shall be last. So (laughs) essentially, Sharon, you and I are first. (laughs) All right. But seriously, seriously though, you guys are probably right. I I get that. I get that. And what's probably right? that, That you're right about melody. You know, that it's she's enjoyed the ride and, you know, she's gone on this for too long and everything. And maybe that's part of the mix too. It's just too late. It's too hard, yeah. You know, it's just too late to turn around now. I don't know. The thing is. Well, I think think she's definitely enjoyed the ride until she didn't, right? When you're in those communities like IHOP Kansas City and Last Days, you have a servant, you know, community. I was going to say, what's the class? A servant class. And I think she definitely benefited from a servant class being around Slaves. They're basically slaves. Yes. And I think when she's been away from that, some of this has hit her much harder because she's had to do other things for herself that she didn't have to do. So that's my hardness of heart. Do you know what's going to be really interesting is when those kids come out and tell their stories, right? Her daughters. If. That's going to be fascinating. If. Well. Mm, It'll be a good one, though. So I. (laughs) 
I do think that Tracy and Troy, they have a softer compassion. I don't think that Brian and I are without compassion for Melody. And way more than one thing can be true at the same time. And, you know, when when we were the four of us, four-way messaging, I was thinking about this and I was recognizing that, that, yeah, I could hear from Tracy and Troy a really soft compassion for Melody. And that is a beautiful thing. And I said in that message that, yes, of course, I see how Keith controlled and abused her. And yes, I absolutely see how YWAM manipulated her and used her. But I also saw in person, firsthand, in private, her character, her behavior, some really significant self-centeredness, a coldness to the feelings of others, and some what can only be described as greed and ego. I mean, that was there. And And some cruelty. I mean, I've heard people describe her with cruelty. Mm -hmm. Yep. There was some of that there too. And so, yes, she was a pawn of YWAM. Absolutely. She was a pawn. But she was also the queen of her own chessboard. And she was damn happy to be the most powerful player in that game. And that's why Feet of Clay, Confessions of a Cult Sister, longest podcast name ever, is in (laughs) fact such a powerful, powerful podcast because you guys have that insight. You know, we only have interviews and books and music and our own experience, and it's so good what you do because you just tear down this idol. You know, I mean, Feet of Clay, this, this is it, and both of them. So when you say things like that, I have to go, okay. Because I don't know, and you do. Mm. And that's what makes your podcast so amazing. And this is why we all tune in. Just a little bit about the name, um, Troy, just before people start calling us out. Um, <laughs> Feta Clay, Confessions of the Cult Sisters, we are, I was a teenage fundamentalist and evangelical podcast. So Yeah, I'm- yeah, yeah. But that's just like a subtext, right? We're actually just, I was a teenage fundamentalist. And that's what I think these guys should be. They should just start saying, Feet of clay, right? And that's it. Feet of clay. No. And then, but the, you know, the whole title is <laughs> Confessions of the Cult Sisters, yada, yada. But it's the cult <laughs> sisters that gets the search engines going. <laughs> uh, it's the SEO. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, you taught us that, little bros. Yep. You taught us that. <laughs> yep, search engine optimization. Good job. I'd, I would have another subline that says Only Grands, and you watch it take <laughs> off. Like, it will be nuts. I think you're so right. I think I think I'm going to have to ask my dear AI what kind of graphic would they give the only grands? <laughs> I can't wait. So oh my god. Might be coming. <laughs> merch, Tracy, this is we we can have a subtext of merch, a whole subcategory. Oh, I think we can do that. Of merch. Interestingly, when I tried to make our our um graphic originally, I was saying to, because I was using the Microsoft one, as you would, right? The Microsoft um, as you would, image yes. generator. <laughs> and it was saying, when I asked it to do things with the devil, it, it refused. So it's somewhere in there, they're saying you're not allowed to make devil images. But when I said put horns on it, no problem. Okay. Mm. I've done a couple of AI things and it has refused anything really sexual. So I have to, yeah. you know, I think I said it did naked and it refused that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I did that too. I did naked for us for this because it would have been funny for us standing there. And, you know, we'll have pixelated out, you know, the genitals like Rick and Morty do. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it wouldn't even go that far. <laughs> wow. You would have seen my man cans in full flight. 
Ooh. All right. So, Sharon, were you trying to wrap up so that we can give these beautiful Aussies the day back? <laughs> I know I could go on forever and ever with them, but I want to be respectful of their time and their lives and their families and their Aussie. Hey, do you guys get offended if somebody confuses you with Kiwis? Um, no, I mean, you guys are Russian, right? <laughs> I think I think it's the other way around, isn't it? Like Kiwis get offended, like Canadians get offended if they get called Americans. Kiwis ah, get offended if they okay. get called Australians. Okay. Yeah. We do have a camaraderie between us and the Kiwis. So the Kiwis, so New Zealand lays around about 2,000 kilometres off the Australian coast down to the south, southeast to be exact. So they see themselves a real a very different identity, which they should, because mm-hmm. in many ways they're more progressive than Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got a treaty with their Indigenous peoples there. They're a lot more progressive in many ways socially as well. So I think they want to separate themselves from Australia that we really is still struggling to have its identity. That's my my sense of it. Plus, we have taunted them for many years calling them sheep shaggers. So that that is the probably the biggest biggest fight we have with them because um, yes you can look it up sheep shaggers for those that don't know what that means sheep shaggers you didn't foster goodwill but you know <laughs> I listen to your voices Brian and Troy and I do think of Jermaine and Britt so it makes me laugh and smile to imagine the two of you in a musical duo similar to Flight of the Concords. I do love Flight of the Concords. Would you consider, since you both were worship leaders and singers, would you write a song and record it together, a parody song? Please don't confuse me as a singer. I was never a singer. I, I, I cannot hold a tune. I could just get a crowd going. So, Well, you can just do the low voice. You can do the low voice narrative like Jermaine does. I, I can. That's and, and I can do that well. That'll be fine. Yes, we will consider it. And um, will you manage us? Oh, brother, you got it. I'll make it happen. Yeah, get us onto HBO. Yeah, that's right. We need a US. That's that's where the money is. We'll bring you on a US tour. Perfect. Done. Hey, Flamey Grant's doing a concert here at my uh, farm in Florida in October. Maybe you could be the opening act. You know, that's how you could get started. <laughs> <laughs> Could I be thought, the opener. <laughs> I thought Melody was doing support. <laughs> that would be great also. Oh. That would that would be great. Like HIV. <laughs> <laughs> be great like herpes. Oh be man. Great like herpes. Forever. Oh. And it's forever. And it's forever. So I guess as we kind of close this, shall we shall we do the while every head is bowed and every eye is closed? What else has the Lord put on your hearts to share with our listeners? I mean, you never led worship, Sharon. <laughs> you should uh, probably let them do that since you never led worship ever. <laughs> that's true. I, but I could do that was not worship. That was an altar call. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Well, rather than asking for the offering, we'll give out our, um, our Patreon details. Perfect. That'd be great. Please <laughs> Yes, do. please. So we will say out to listeners, Sharon and I are Patreon uh, members. and so Yes, we, we are. We do have to say this. I mean, obviously, it was a, a year ago that 
you know, we came on your podcast. You have been fantastic. I mean, you've just been all the things that we've talked about as far as sincere and just open hearted. You've been great mentors. You've been on tap for lots of questions that we've had. Honestly, we would not be doing what we're doing today if it weren't for you. And I'm not, you know, listeners, we're not just blowing smoke up there. You know what? Um, <laughs> you have been really great friends. And we are so honored to know you and we're so honored to be able to listen to your podcast and we're honored to be Patreon members because we think you're doing a fantastic thing and your season five sounds phenomenal. So that's sincere and genuine. And we love you. Well, we've got the commune starting up, ladies. And so we're really looking forward to you guys coming and moving down here. We're only fit to cook and clean. That's right. I mean, once a commune girl, always a commune girl. I am still... Pro commune. <laughs> Me too. As long as I can be in control. The good thing is, you don't have to run the print workshop anymore. You just have to press send on the newsletter. Mm. So we have made it a bit easier for you. So you can spend more time cooking and cleaning. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Amen. But, you know, you guys have done so much for us too. Like you guys, you know, you're there. And and I know there's been times where I have so overshared in that chat and told you what's really going on in my life. And you guys have just been really wonderful. So I think this is a friendship, right? It is a friendship. And when you are friends and you are connected and you don't have to self-edit, that is the friendship. That is the true fellowship where we can be authentic and vulnerable, and real. And what's so funny is that connection that I feel with you two and with some others. It's like what we were promised. What, 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 hold on. What others? What, what others? <laughs> who, who, who else? What? No one else is on your level. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me go back to being faithful. Yeah, yeah. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. But it's a, but it's a level. It's a level of connection and friendship that we aspired to when we were in the Christian Bible box, but we could never get to because we always had to hold some parts of ourselves of not being worthy. And how wonderful to abandon the mantra of all Christian hymns, which is basically, God is great, and I am shit, and God is great, and I am shit. No, we are great. You guys are great. And your friendship I'm serious, man. It just, it means so much. It means so much to us. Oh, and likewise. Yeah, us too. Us too. And it's great. The only thing you had to abandon today were your pants, Sharon, for the for the <laughs> yeah. podcast recording. So it was great. But no, no, we agree. Look, there's a, a real connection. And I think it's something that you you only get when you get it, when you understand each other, you understand yeah. what you're trying to do, what you're trying to communicate, and that genuineness that you try and bring across. So, thank you to you two. You owe us nothing. I mean, it's. I just looked yeah, at the stats. I, one thing I do want to say to your listeners is that go and listen to Sharon's episode. It's a couple of thousand downloads behind Tracy's and I reckon- <laughs> So, lift, lift hers. Lift hers. Yeah, lift hers and then they- Sharon they can, must become more while Tracy becomes less. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. So get in there, listen to it, and Aww. let's let's see how we can do it. That's the challenge for you today, people. That's get in the there challenge. and listen. That's hysterical. That's hysterical. But I'm fine with staying at number one. <laughs> of course, you you're is. fairly safe. 
In fairness, you're fairly safe. A couple of thousand ahead, but it is a challenge to your listeners, which, you know, if they were committed enough, they could definitely do it. Well, she deserves to be ahead because it wouldn't be happening without Tracy. She's the impetus of this whole thing. So You're impotent? (laughs) The key is don't open Sharon's episode because that will give her a bump. So you just open Tracy's. Oh, sorry. The other way around. Sorry. That's what I'm trying to uh, edit that. Okay. Edit that. Sharon's that one at the editing helm. So I'm 54 this year. I'm 54 <laughs> this year. You know what I'm trying to say. So open, open Sharon's episode. Don't open oh, Tracy's. You guys are so funny. And then that way you will actually bump up her numbers. He'll bump it up. <laughs> you guys, are so funny. you know what this is like. This afterglow. You know, we keep trying. I I keep trying to be respectful so that you guys can sign off, and we just keep talking, which is actually fun. Hey, I want to show you my Dallas jersey before you go. Oh, do. Yes. I'm glad that you uh, clarified that. I wasn't sure what he was going to say, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to show us something. He's gone. He's gone to his golf. Oh, it's weird. Did you, did you think I was going to show you my rash? Uh, yeah, ooh. I thought that was. That was uh, <laughs> Have a look. So this Look is at that. My Dallas jersey. It's a real one. Wow. Yeah. And then I've got my, um, my Dallas hat. So I've got this one. And this Very one, cool. and I've got keychains, and I've got all kinds of really good stuff. I'll go to a football game with you if you come here, Troy. Yeah, I'll come. I will. I'm going to come. I've, I've already yeah. said to my wife that I'm going to go, so let's do it. All right. And Brian, at some point, you'll need to prioritize friendships over your fun other vacation time. But, you know, we'll give you a couple years' notice. I know. Fucking Sri Lanka. I am really <sighs> – it's something that I'm really organised with holidays. So not only do I have this year's holidays planned and booked and already paid for, but I've got mm. next year's already planned. So I'm, I'm, I am very organised. So yes, a couple of years' notice would be amazing. Wow, so in demand. So what year? What year would work for you, <laughs> Brian? Maybe have to be have- 2026. Wow. 2026. We're going to be really old then, Sharon. God. <laughs> they'll, they'll have colonized the moons of Europa by then, Brian. That's just so <laughs> far away. Yeah, it really is. So did you hear that that Molly has left? Yes. She's leaving? Yes, we were very sad. Well, and I, I get it. I was going to ask you, Troy, about something I noticed is, of course, I'm doing the editing. And so we all spend time prepping for an episode, which you got to think about it and organize it. And some of the material is more intense than others. And then we have our time recording it. And of course, this with you guys is just wonderful. And I find it encouraging and uplifting and Mm -hmm. just great. Some episodes that we do, I mean, it's heavy subject matter and it's, it's tough or we're interviewing people and we're hearing stories of like really hard stuff. Then what I noticed, like I go in and edit and now I'm spending hours yeah. with the material. You're soaking in it. And I'm not necessarily like listening to the whole story because I'm looking at the, you know, dealing with the sound stuff, but still it's like you're in it for hours. And I found that it was, I had to recognize that it was feeling really weighty, really hard. Mm. And I think that's a different experience than if you simply prepare and record versus prepare, record, and then edit. And I was just curious, yeah. Troy, what, what your experience has been. That's why I had to stop. 
Um, it was like, what? what's that palm olive dishwashing liquid? You're soaking in it. I mm. totally got to the point where I just had to stop in August last year and just went, I can't do this anymore. And we had to find editors to be able to do it because I knew I couldn't do it. And you ask Brian, even now, the editors will send things back and I'll say to him, can you listen? Because mm. I can't listen to it again. I'm I'm sort of like two times and I'm done with mm-hmm. each episode. That's as pretty much as far as I can go. So Brian and I are sharing that now. So mm. he'll he'll listen, you know, to the stuff and find the gaps or find the mistakes and send it back to the editor. Um, that made a massive difference. I, I think if we if I'd had to keep editing, I don't know that I could have done the podcast. And I, and I think it's probably fair to say I couldn't have done the podcast. Um, three years of soaking in my trauma and other people's trauma just got too much. And that was also mm-hmm. the difference in going this new direction, mm-hmm. right, in mm-hmm. saying we're just going to look forward. And one of the things we said with our episode when you listen to it is we mentioned you guys and we said there is still a place for the trauma and there is still – podcasts need to be doing that and we actually recommended your podcast because you guys are still in that place and telling those stories and a hundred percent super important thank you and we're not saying for a minute that you know everybody should now be moving forward and not looking back no but that's us right that's what we've got to do i'm glad for you no that's really good gotta take care of yourself and that's something that I know I remind myself regularly because even even though I'm not doing the editing, just getting in and reading all the Instagram messages and staying in there, there's a lot of stories that come through there that's like this, you know, can just make a breakdown and making sure that I'm taking time to just cut away from it all so that I'm not just steeping in this subject matter is very important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. People get paid for this shit and we don't. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like that sort of support that, you know, mm-hmm. there's government grants out there for people to do this and we're doing it on top of full-time jobs and families and all right. that we're doing. Yeah, it's, it's, let's, let's be real. This is, this is a work. It is. And all you right. Know, are you guys ready for me to hit stop? Well, we have yeah, to sign well, off. Look, you've got to sign off, but I just want to acknowledge Tracy's commitment to recording in weird situations. When we recorded our episode with Tracy, she was inside a closet. Thankfully, she's come out of the closet. (laughs) Today, she is recording from what looks like underneath a laundry basket with a towel draped over it because that's what it is. Um, So next time, I look forward to the creativity of when we record. It's going to be enlightening, to say the least. Yeah, Yes, it is. I still don't know that people quite understood that I was literally in a closet when I recorded with you and how many people wondered if I was trying to come out as, as a gay woman, but the irony of that, like, should I be on this show or not? Should I be telling this story? I'm going to do it from the closet. The irony. Oh, it's so great. All right. Well, Tracy, thank you for putting your stuff out there. Troy and Brian, thank you for finding Tracy. Thank you yes. guys for connecting. Thank you for kicking this whole thing off. Thank you for being our friends. Thank you for doing this episode with us, and we love you both so much, and we look forward to someday we'll be in the same place. What? We'll meet here or there or in the air? Is that what we used to say? (laughs) Yeah, but because um, only Troy and I are going in the air, we need to meet here. That's right, because you two don't believe in the afterlife. (laughs) Because you guys don't believe in the afterlife, so we need to make sure that we meet here. 
We'll FaceTime or uh, stream it when we do. We'll invite you for barbecue at our warm place and you guys can come over. Nice. Get me Tim Minchin tickets. I will come to Australia for sure if you can get me Tim Minchin tickets. He's directing a new play. A new show here, Groundhog Day. Yeah, it's Groundhog Day. Yeah. I mean, I'll buy them. You don't have to pay for them. I'll pay for them, but you got to find them for me, okay? We love Tim Minchin too. All right. All right. So we will put all the connections in the show notes, and we are going to sign off now. Bye. Bye. Say goodbye, Tracy. 